1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to the State of America podcast. This is David, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Mr. Ian Rice. Ian, how goes it this evening? Very, very good, David. How are you? Man, I I, I am doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited about the podcast that we just recorded and the interview we're going to play for everybody here. Not interview, but conversation we're going to play for everybody here in a few minutes.
2: Yes, yes. We're talking uh, black crows and their... Uh, affection for covering stone songs and it was a great conversation with a fine fine gentleman named bill
1: yeah he uh, reached out to us uh, on email like a lot of you have and uh things lined up with his schedule and the topic and everything and we uh were able to uh get him on to talk about the stones and the crows but uh before we get into that i do want to ask everybody if you get a chance go follow us on uh twitter at state of amorca and we have an Instagram page, State of America Podcast, and Ian does a fine job running our Facebook page, State of America Podcast. Uh, if you could share us with uh, you know whoever um, whoever you can, and let them um, see our Facebook page and get them to like it and uh, build up um, our likes on Facebook and our Twitter followers and Instagram. And what we really right now need you to help us do is go to iTunes and leave us a five star rating and a review. That greatly helps with our exposure uh on iTunes with other people searching for um searching for uh, uh, music podcasts. That really helps us a lot. And we've gotten a lot of reviews and, and ratings on there and we really appreciate that, so keep that up and we'll have uh we'll have another content contest soon in the future to um uh maybe uh revolving around iTunes this time and uh iTunes reviews or uh, or like Pod Chaser, which is another uh rock podcast out but uh the we like us we've said every week we really appreciate everybody that's listening and telling their friends about us um uh, and uh it really is a, a a cool thing that we have going here
2: yeah every week i just uh i just can't believe how 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 great people have been in tuning in and, and sending positive vibes our way and and I, I i greatly appreciate it Uh i do want to take the time to mention that uh David and I are planning on doing a kind of Q and a episode coming up in the very near future. So we need people to, uh, get in touch with us on the various social media platforms or what have you. And just, if you have a question or something you'd like us to talk about or address, you can just, uh, cut a little voice recording and, uh, send it to state at gmail.com. We would greatly appreciate it. And your sound clip just may be a part of a future episode.
1: Yes. Or you can, um, if you can't figure out how to do that, you could always just send us an email with a question, or you could send us a uh, on Twitter the hashtag AskAmorca, or post it on our Facebook page if uh, that's the easiest thing for you. Because that's going to be a fun episode. We've already gotten a number of questions to choose from, and uh, the more we have, the better it will be. And if you send us a voicemail, you'll get played on um, the uh, the podcast. And uh, we tell you a lot of this stuff because uh, the more you share and tell people, the more our numbers go up, and Believe it or not, sometimes when you're trying to get people on, <clears throat> as a guest, I've, I've had this experience with my other podcast, their publicist or whatever will say, tell me your numbers. And so the more numbers that we have, you know, listeners that we have to tell people, the chances of us getting uh, bigger and bigger guests um, happen. So uh, so keep that up. Ian, this is a special podcast for you to record um you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago saying uh you had an idea for this and why don't you explain to everybody why it's kind of a special topic for you
2: well sure i mean uh you know it always had been an idea uh for a topic you know when we first started coming up with them but the reason why i wanted to do it uh particularly now is um the release of this episode should coincide with my father's 70th birthday and uh my father is probably the most loyal and uh, dedicated Stones fan uh, I've ever encountered. And um, when I was a kid, the, the earliest memories I have are music. And one of the earliest music memories I have is listening to the Stones with my father. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's something that really developed my appreciation of all kinds of music. And um, and it really, Cemented uh, a really strong bond between me and my father, and it's something that is very valuable to me to this day. So, I thought in honor of his uh, 70th year on this planet, we would uh, talk about the stones, covers that the uh, black crows have done over the years. So, uh, I appreciate you uh indulging me on this one, David.
1: No problem, no problem. Um, I was very glad to do it, and I'm glad we were able to get somebody on short notice to. Uh to record with us and it turned out uh, great as you will hear. So Ian, what's your dad's name? My dad's name is Bob. Bob, happy 70th birthday. Uh, and, uh, thank you for introducing Ian to the stones, uh, and, and helping him with his love of the crow. So, uh, yeah. hope you have a good, a good 70th. He lives in Florida. Is that right? I think I heard you say that.
2: Yes. And, uh, when this, uh, hits the, uh, the download circuit, I will be down there celebrating with him. So, uh, hopefully he'll get to listen to it while i'm down there
1: very cool all right everybody uh thanks for listening and uh if you could hit us up on social media with any questions for that q a podcast and uh, leave us reviews and on various platforms and uh, like our uh, social media uh, sites that way we can uh, get more people listening uh we're gonna go right now to our conversation with bill whalen we really appreciate him coming on and uh, we think you're going to enjoy it and stay tall everyone <laughs> All right, everyone, Ian and I are here with uh, another one of our listeners who uh, emailed us about coming on um, the show this week, and we were able to set something up with him rather quickly, a subject that I think uh, he uh, is going to be a great guest for, and we're really excited to have him on. So uh, without further ado, I believe he is on Skype from Pittsburgh. It is Bill Whalen. Bill, how are you? I am fantastic. How's everybody? Very well, very well. Glad to have you on. Yes. Thanks for having me. We are very, uh, very excited to uh, to have you on, as a matter of fact. Uh, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Um, So uh, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, I was jamming um, Shake Your Money Maker, like my junior year of high school. And it was just like the soundtrack started beginning. And then, uh, uh, so... Uh, Went off to the Army, and then, so I was out of, like, the music loop for about nine months to a year. I get to my first duty station in Berlin, Germany, and then uh, the guy I was replacing was leaving. Had his bags on his uh, back and everything, and he hands me this tape. It's Southern Harmony. And I was like, oh, my God. So that was, like, the soundtrack of Berlin, and then um, had a great time there. And then uh, had, uh, um, got lucky and got stationed at 101st near uh, in Hopkinsville where um, uh, Gorman, I guess, grew up uh, in, in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, but it was like 45 minutes away from Nashville and um, uh, in 94, I saw them play there at 328 Club. It was the first time I ever saw them play live and it was the night after um, uh, Letterman. They just come back from England and uh, was the night after Letterman, I remember calling home telling my mother I wasn't coming home for Thanksgiving and uh, she was upset that I said, I'm going to see the Crows and it was uh, one of the best performances. They just blew the roof off the joint. It was like very intimate crowds. I remember sitting there uh, doing soundcheck and Johnny Cole, Mark Ford, everybody just strolling by. Was, you know, It was just a great experience. And then um, I was hooked from there. And the Crows uh, in the 90s and all the way through, even to this day, they are the, the soundtrack and the inspiration uh, that, uh, that I need in life. It's, it's fantastic. But, uh, right now all I do is write sports in the Pittsburgh area and, and, uh, listen to the black crowd. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: sounds like quite a, quite a setup. quite a life. That's good. That's good, yeah. that sounds good to me.
3: <laughs> it was a blast. Let me tell you my, the, the great thing about the Crows was not only were they uh, thoughtful and soulful, but it was like the life they were living in the mid nineties was like parallel to mine in the army. I was chasing them all around the South with my buddies and, um, coming up here to uh, Pittsburgh for the Horde Fest and then back down to Virginia. We were all over, and um, it was a fun ride. It was great.
1: That was a great time in their in their history because uh, I like going back like everybody else does and looking at the YouTube videos from, like, that 92 tour. And, I mean, they dressed like straight-up rock stars from the 70s. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, Ford would have on those kind of bell-bottom pants that were striped, and, you know, uh, Chris sometimes would be in his pimp outfit. and um, Right. I always find it interesting. They were much more animated on stage on that tour than I think any other time. Um, You go back and look at some of those uh, High as the Moon tours. And I mean, Rich is jumping up and down and, uh, you know, Eddie Harsh is killing it on the keyboards. Like, it's it's so cool to go and listen to those because that's when Ed had first joined the band. And he added so much life to that. Oh, yeah. Like on songs you wouldn't even think of, like my morning song and no speak, no slave. I mean, he's killing it. Yeah. And and then Steve yeah. at that time, you know, was wearing short hair and wearing a lot of suits. And he really, he yeah. kinda, to me, he always, from a aesthetic point of view, he always stuck out to me. He was all business. Right.
3: <laughs> he was serious. But uh, those were some great times. And, um, and that's, that's what struck me about, uh, about uh, the Crows also, they were anti-everything, establishment, corporate, t- you know, I mean, and that's all, I've always had, you know, my fist in the air, because, uh, you know, and uh, that's, that was another uh, um, way that uh, I sort of uh,
2: picked up on them. Did you ever get the impression that uh, their anti-establishment uh, vibe is probably the most genuine you've seen? Because I, 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 I don't believe it from a lot of artists, and I always believe it from them. I really think that that's their, their thing. They just want to constantly do their own thing.
3: Right. And I've, I've always respected that. And let me tell you, when I got out of the army and I was like, hey, I'm going to be a sports writer, everybody just laughed, you know, and I just flipped my bird and I just like used that as motivation, you know, because there's a, there's always so many people that want to put their thumb on you and keep you down. And you just got to fight your fight, you know, and I think that's what they always did. They never sold out, which I've always appreciated.
2: No, I mean, I don't think they, they ever did. I mean, the, the closest I could ever think of would be the, um, the, this flip from where they were in 97 to where they went to in 98. But I, I think that was more of a, you know, a lot of people refer to that as kind of a sellout because they kind of went back a bit to the the shake your moneymaker type of right. thing. But I think ultimately it was, they were kind of lost in a way, you know, they were mm-hmm. two key members and they, they really didn't know. I don't think they had a, for the first time, I don't think they knew what their next step was, you know?
3: They probably were exhausted too. Oh, I would yeah. You know, being an artist, you know, once you're tapped out, you know, you're tapped out. You always go back to what's familiar. And uh, I think that I think there was a lot of pressure from uh, maybe the label to put something out, also.
2: Yeah, I mean, you don't see, you see, always see bands that maybe don't know when to, to take a break for a bit. And I really feel that, like, taking a break actually for a lo- not just the Crows, but a lot of groups um, really, like, kind of gives them a minute to regroup mentally and,
1: and, and creatively. You know? it, it certainly helped after uh, the Lions tour, that's for sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. See, did you get to see uh, As the Crow Flies up there at the, the cap over New Year's Eve?
2: Uh, not me. Not me. No, I. Um, I kind of stayed away from that for uh, some personal reasons. But I heard it was. Uh, yeah. I heard it was a good time.
3: It was. It was. I could definitely see Chris um, and Marcus King getting together for something special. I think he really likes him.
1: Marcus King is phenomenal. I I had his um, album last year as my album of the year on my other podcast, and I said of everybody that's come out in the last few years, if I could buy stock in somebody and then sell it in fifteen years, the return on him would be the the highest anybody.
3: Yeah, we've seen him play. My wife and I; she's a huge fan of him, and uh, we saw him play a free concert in Pittsburgh. And so I'm this, you know, this nosy, uh, you know, journalist guy. So I, I just start pushing backstage. And we got photos with him and everything. It was a good time. I saw and him. He was very, very genuine.
1: I know. I saw him here, and it was it was last year. Matter of fact, about this time, it was in August, and it was it was a complete sellout at, at this place. It was probably six or seven hundred people were crammed in there, and it had to have been one hundred and fifty degrees, and mm-hmm. it, but it was so much fun. And that's when I really got sold on him. And then I did go see As the Crow Flies in New Orleans. And when I tell you that place in New Orleans was packed, you could not have gotten another person in there. And I, like a lot of other people, was kind of skeptical about it. And it's, you know, saw some of the videos online. And I was like, yeah. But I, I paid for the meet and greet. Got to meet Chris. He was totally okay. cool. He was totally cool. But once the music started playing, and he came out, and in my opinion, acted like more of a rock star than he has in the last fifteen years. Right. It, it's just, it was just something going, you know, and I made this statement then. When he wants to be, he's the greatest American front man of the last 30 years. Oh, yeah. I think I when he when he wants to be. And he was feeling it that night and, you know, had Audley and, and Marcus. And obviously, most of that stuff's recorded before Marcus was even born uh, or, or right. he was, you know, yeah. a child. But uh, So I feel kind of bad because some of the flack he got because there's nobody's going to fill those rich and Mark shoes and it's going to satisfy yeah. anybody. But I thought they did a more than serviceable job. And personally, I would like, since the brotherhood is on a hiatus and I, Ian and I've talked about this, I would like to see Chris go in. And, and I think Marcus is the guy to do it with record yeah. a genuine R and B soul funk and reggae album. I cause I mean, I think he has it in him. Because he flirts with it a lot, even with even some mm-hmm. of the CRB stuff, some of the new earth, the early New Earth Mud stuff, and then you know the crows used to do kinky reggae, and he would show up at some of these you know all star concerts and and sing with you know mm-hmm. uh, some of these reggae people. So I think Marcus would be the perfect person to do that with. I agree. Yeah, I mean,
2: I don't uh, I don't know Marcus's uh, material all that well. I didn't realize he was such a young guy. I was reading about him the other day because I caught a photo of him. Twenty two yeah and i he was like so young looking in the photo I, I looked it up i didn't I didn't know i mean that's he's accomplished a lot for a for a relatively yeah, young yeah guy.
1: well when he was fifteen he he snuck in to a government mule show and you had to be eighteen to get in and the the interview i heard i think it was on Dean delray's podcast the owner found out he was in there and underage and wanted to have him arrested, and he gave oh. Warren Haynes a cassette tape or a disc or whatever, you know, jump drive, however you do it nowadays. And, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of where he took off. And I think he's going to be this generation's Warren Haynes. Who's going to, I think he's going to be the guy that sits in with anybody. You want to, you know, you want to do a a black Sabbath cover. He can handle that. Or if you want to do, you know, the funky meters or something. Yeah. Yeah. He does war pigs, doesn't he?
3: Yeah. War pigs, uh, New Year's Eve. That was, I could not, (coughs) I was, I was walking away to go get something. I'm not sure. I had to stop turn around and go back in because I could not believe what I was hearing, and it was just so good it was fantastic
1: so you also are a huge stones fan, so kind of mm-hmm. where does that come from and uh, uh kind of where do they rank on your list and tell us some special stones memories you have
3: there's only that there's always that one person that you meet that's just musically like your guide
1: you know right. so
3: when i when I got to uh to um Hunter first airborne, there was this guy there he was like like four years older than me, um, big deadhead rock, old school rock and roll fan. And, um, and he introduced me to, uh, the Rolling Stones and, uh, and then, you know, like their whole catalog. And he played guitar. So, you know, he would play some stone songs and things like that. And, um, and then, then we would just start talking music and how one leads to another, you know what I mean? And how they're all related in in some way, you know, Chris talks about the song, you know, or, you know, and, and, uh, uh, so the the uh, the love grew there, and you know, and then he took me through like uh, Sticky Fingers was my first album. I just love that album, front to back, back front, and um, and uh, then it was Exile, you know,
0: because
3: I've always been a throwback, you know, classic rock type guy. So you know, um, so I um, just went back to the you know the '60s catalog, you know, the '70s. Uh, not so much then. I remember them being sort of disco-y in the '80s, and they kind of lost me because that's whenever I was like you know, like 10, you know, 10 years old. And they, they started popping up on MTV and uh, they sort of lost me there. And I was like, are these the same Rolling Stones that, uh, that were back in the 60s and 70s, you know? And, uh, you know, they were, but, you know, they were just, you know, changing with the times, I guess. But, uh, but you know, those, uh, those uh, albums in the 60s and 70s were fantastic. And that's, you know, once again, part of the soundtrack of my
1: life. I teach my kids that. Right. Well, what is your, what's your favorite period? Like for me, it goes beggar's banquet through Goat's head suit.
3: Um, so I bought a, uh, a box set years ago. The singles was it the singles period, and um, and they were really young then. And there was a few songs I liked out of there, but um, I guess it probably all starts with um, exile. I didn't learn all the albums in order. I just sort of gravitated from one to the next and stayed in that uh, that specific time period. Ian, what about you?
2: I'm i uh, I'm a Mick Taylor guy uh, through and through, but uh, you know I, I I pull stuff from every uh, era. I mean, you know, I of course went back to appreciate the uh, you know the pre Beggars Banquet material, and then I mean, you know, the a couple of the the '80s albums didn't uh, do much for me, but there's a lot of good material on like uh, Voodoo Lounge and Bridges to Babylon. Yeah. It's just yeah. for me, it becomes more. There's shining moments on those albums they're not completely satisfying albums it's just like a uh, you know a glimmer here and there but uh, there's still great stuff on there i think a lot of people sweep those records under the carpet or forget about them because you know they're they're newer you know but even the newer ones are 25 years old
1: now so yeah Yeah, it's like steel wheels i remember that uh when it came out i think either that or airsmith pump was the first actual cd i bought and my dad my dad was a big music freak from the 60s and 70s and he always played like uh, Little Red Rooster and uh, Mother's Little Helper and I can't get no satisfaction and then uh, I remember the watching MTV and the video for was it Mixed Emotions I think was the first one off of that and yes. it is everywhere you know they did that massive mm-hmm. tour that had um, you know Guns N Roses open for them and Izzy and Axel came out and played Salt of the Earth which I don't think They've only they've only played a couple of times ever, uh, which I think is a fantastic song, and um, and I started getting into them then, and then I got into them big time in college, and actually went and saw them twice. Well, I saw them on the Bridges to Babylon tour, and if you remember, they did that tour, and then went away for a month or two, and came back and did another one called No Security, and uh, saw Shell Crow open up for them on one show, and saw Johnny Lang open up for them on uh, one show, and I've really been hooked ever since, and. It was honestly, it was the crows covering Torn and Frayed that got me into Exile. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, if you put a gun to my head, Exile is a top five album of all time for me now. Um, yeah. I think Exile is the greatest American music album that's ever been made. And it's made by a, a group that's not from America. You had. Think about, it. you had gospel on there, you had soul, you had country, you had boogie-woogie, you had the blues, and you just had straight-up rock, all in like what, right. 14, 15 songs. I mean, nobody else, I think, has done it as well as they did on that album, and it's a true album. I, I, I On my other podcast, I did a track-by-track track breakdown with a guy, and we both kind of came to the same conclusion. Like, it's one that you put on, and there's songs that if you heard them by themselves on the radio... You would pro- you might switch over to another song, but they fit in the track order and they like Sweet Black Angel. I mean, if I heard yeah. that on the radio, I'm probably going to change it nine times out of ten. But when you listen to it in, in the chronological order on that album, it just makes sense and it sounds great. That's one of my yeah. favorites, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they, they played the Crows played a huge role for me um, in, in really getting into Exile, and then from there. You know, I started looking at some of the albums that didn't have the big hits, and i like, Go Ted Soup. Go Ted Soup at times is probably my second favorite uh, album that they've done. I think it's probably their one of their druggiest albums. And, you know, oh, yeah. I, I've got a couple of songs on that on my list we're going to talk about. But uh, the, the band, Crows, for sure, covered them a lot. Um, we were talking to beforehand. They may be the band that they've done the most songs for. We'll, we'll have to look that up on Crows' base. And... They touched on a lot of different eras, you know. They, if you listen to those those uh, shows before they went on the second hiatus in San Francisco, they did have, did an entire encore of uh, Stone songs, and they did, you know, this might be the was the last time, and uh, you know, toward the end there, they were doing No Expectations, and they were doing I uh, Just Want to See His Face, and so uh, you know, I always get mad at the comparison to the Stones and the Faces because we have talked about it on here, but it's lazy journalism. It's a narrative that started with Shake Your Money Maker. Now, if you want to say that about Shake Your Money Maker, I'm with you. To some extent, Southern Harmony. But once a Morka and Three Snakes get there, they're not a Faces or Stones ripoff at all. They're their own own monster. I agree. 100%. I'm a big Faces fan, too. Yeah, Um, nothing wrong with the Faces, but you cannot read a review about them. Even now, if you were to read something, it would say, you know, they harken back to the era of the faces or the faces influenced, or, you know, they're doing their best faces uh, impression. And to me, it's just, I, I just think it's lazy journalism.
3: Yeah, I agree. My, uh, one of my, if you want to run through uh, the top five, I have um, honky talk women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's special because you know i learned about the uh the stones down you know down south and you know just you know the the song really hit um home uh and uh but um and that i think that they played that a few times one was with uh um with the uh jealous guy at the trump plaza back in like 90 or something like that i think Uh, yeah i was about to say that was
1: that was one that they covered a lot early on and and then later on it just dropped out of the rotation do you right. rem- do you remember that like that, Ian?
2: Yeah, it was a big, um, night, you know, uh, early first tour kind of thing, and uh, uh, I mean they did a great version of it. It's a shame they didn't really carry it carry it forward after
1: that. Yeah, it is. it is. I would have enjoyed to hear them doing like you know how they'll have like an acoustic section of the show. I I would love them to sit down and do you know the, the Kiss and Cousin of it, Country Honk. Uh, <laughs> you know, just with acoustic guitars and. I feel like they would have a lot of fun with that yeah, yeah I, I, you're 100 percent right on that definitely so honky tonk women is uh is a great one um like we said they don't didn't play that much after that uh after that first show that's just a great song that's one of those songs that like the radio can't ruin for me like nah. i have these songs that like the radio's like uh acdc you shook me all night long if i never hear that again yeah. i'm okay you know Uh, But that is one that, like, if it comes on, I'm never going to be like, ah, it's Honky Tonk Women. I'm I'm, I'm always going to love it.
2: FM radio is good for ruining a lot of songs, though. You're right. Uh, And uh, you shook me all night long definitely being one of them. But, yeah, a lot of Stone songs, they they, – It's amazing to me that they do that. You know, they'll they'll play 10 10 or 15 Stone songs in a band that has a massive catalog that they just don't draw from otherwise. It's it's senseless to me, really. Because how do you – so when I was growing up, uh, you know, I'm only 38, but when I was a kid, I listened to the radio to hear new music or new, even new old music, you know, things right. that were not necessarily current. But I would hear different things all the time. And now every time you turn on the radio, you hear the same tracks over and over again. It's kind of – it's almost like they're just there to put something on between the commercials, really.
1: Oh, that's all yeah. it is. This like a heart radio you know, they own everybody, and it's just, you know, if you're in Las Vegas or you're in Detroit, you're going to hear the same thing. Yep, right. At, at my work, for a while, uh, we would swap every day who, uh, who got control of the overhead radio, and there's, you know, some younger women that worked with us, and they always wanted to put it on the pop station, and that was when um, that song Hello by Adele was out. Great right. song, beautiful voice. I liked it when it first came out. I was counting at times they were playing that five times an hour. I mean, you know, it's you know it's the same thing with like uh that ent- I feel like that entire first album from Boston just gets played all the time. If I'd never heard yeah. Boston again, you know, I I would be happy to hear it, but uh the Stones are one of those bands that realistically you could probably sit down and they would probably have 30 to 40 songs that the most casual music fan would have at least heard and acknowledged they knew right. who it was. The only other oh, yeah. person I can think that could really do that, and, and I kind of did make a list one time. I saw Tom Petty on his last tour before he died. Yes. And dude. he's on song number four and he's already played Free Fallen and last, uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance. Most people would kill to have one song like that. He's throwing it in in song number four and five. You know, yeah. he he had uh, that kind of an impressive hit catalog. But uh, the Stones, uh, the Stones for sure, man, they can go. Sorry, right, so honky tonk one is one of yours. What's what's another one? Let it bleed.
3: Turned on by by seeing our you know CRB covered it quite a bit, mm-hmm. and then um, and then uh, so I started you know listening to it, look, searching for it on YouTube, and here you know the crows had it. So that that's um, and I think it, it does a fantastic job. And to be honest with you, you know I like Chris's vocals better than Mick's on that. To be honest, I think that um, you know there's there's that uh, Mick Mick likes to sound sort of southerner. He, you know he has that twang mm-hmm. on certain songs. And, um, you know, I think Chris has that, you know, that Georgia, that, that, um, he can summon that rather easy. I think, all right, so, I think it sounds great
1: there. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, do you prefer, and I'm, I'm trying to look it up. Do you prefer the stones? I mean, the crows playing it or the CRB playing it? Hmm. Cause it's on that last live <laughs> album. I was making sure it was on there that, uh, Betty's Midwestern magic blends. Yeah. It's yeah. on there. So, Play- I like the
3: Crows playing it better because I mean it's a rock and roll song, but you know the uh, but Chris does a fantastic job, you know, with CRB with Neil. I mean, you, you, you can't go wrong either way. But you know, back in the heyday, you know, when the Crows were you know rocking and rolling, uh, you know, I like it, you know, Then, but
1: hey, Ian, from yeah. my recollection, "Let It Bleed" didn't really start showing up until oh five oh six, right?
2: Yeah, I believe that's when it started hitting the uh, set list, which is surprising when some of these songs. Pop into the mix because, you know, it's I, they've quite a few times have done even outside of the Stones covers, just covers in general. It's like, oh, they finally got to this song. You know, I've always thought this would be a great song for them to cover. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm uh, surprised. Let it bleed came into the uh, came into the fold so late, but
1: uh, well, once you think about it, it's a no brainer. Oh yeah, absolutely. right. You can see why Chris
3: uh, carried it along to CRB to
1: because he sings it well. The Stones. Uh,
3: I
2: think I, I agree with what you said earlier, uh, David, and we've talked about that before. I think it is lazy journalism to constantly compare them to the Stones, but I I, I feel that like they do owe a tremendous amount to the Stones because Rich, all of Rich's great riffs are written in open tunings, which, you know, pri- primarily is a, uh, a, a technique, you know, that was introduced to mainstream rock music by Keith Richards, so. You know, I'm not saying he invented it or anything, you know, obviously guys like Ry Cooter and even Nick Drake and the folk scene and stuff did a lot of open tuning stuff. But that that kind of guttural open tuning rock riff is uh, that's Keith's, you know, Keith's the godfather of that, you know.
1: All right. So I'm going to bring this up and I, I saw it on the Amorka 3 message board on a post that I had on there. And I want your guys opinion on this, uh, maybe your theory and, and what you've heard. From every interview I've heard with Gorman, Rich, and Chris, none of them grew up listening to classic rock primarily. Um, you know, Gorman talks about REM and and, and ACDC, uh, the Bon Scott era ACDC, and I know he talks about the Beatles a lot. And a lot of interviews I've seen, you know, Chris and Rich talk about they listen to the Stooges and. Uh you know Chris has said like when they got ready to do the Zeppelin stuff with Paige, he had to go back and listen to all of it because he didn't listen to it, you know, growing up. If that's the case, where did the the light switch go on where they went from with Mr Crow's garden I don't think playing songs that necessarily sounded the way they did on Shake your Moneymaker, and then they all of a sudden come out and sound like they're from nineteen seventy Because i can I can
2: kind of relate it to my own experience. I mean when I was younger. Uh, I was a big Van Halen fan, and, you know, I love that kind of flashy guitar and the the speed technique and things like that. I really, really love that type of music, but when someone handed me over a copy of Southern Harmony, that's when my light switch went off and went, wow, this is really what guitar playing is about, you know. Maybe they had a moment like that, you know, where somebody... uh, Said, yeah, that's great what you're what you're into, but uh, why don't you check this out? You know, and it kind of sent them down a different path or something. You know,
3: I can completely understand that because you know, music was kind of weird in the early '80s. I was like ten, so I was listening to Prince, you know, R and B, so, you know, like the rhythm, the bass, the soul that came from all that is a lot of what you know, um, you know, uh, Mona Lisa and Charity bring to that band. You know, early on, and um, so I connected with that too. But uh, as far as they were just still trying to find their way, I guess, right? And, you know, uh, you know I guess that's probably how and why they, they wrote the, the record so, or recorded it so fast, because they had found themselves on the road playing you know, night after night, and um, it became a uh, rock and roll band.
1: Well, I know I've heard Gorman say that when they did one of their, I guess like a, played for some r- record executives in New York, they covered uh, Aerosmith's No More No More, which now that they say that, that sounds like it's got the crows written all over it. And then the Stooges down on the street in the same night, and the, so he said the A uh, and R guys like, "Who does that?" You know, re- <laughs> covers those two, and they're like, "We do." <laughs> you know, so all, all right. So, what's your third uh, Crow's uh, song that they recovered?
3: So off the uh, sticky fingers, can't you hear me knocking? Oh, my God. You know, I could, you know, if that song wasn't written by the Stones, then it would have been written by the, uh, the Crows. Uh, it was just a fantastic jam. I just love, I just love the riffs in the opening. And when you, I went back and I started listening to, uh, some of the, uh, the covers today, and they do such a fantastic job. They nail it, you know, all the way through. And, um, you know, it, you know, uh, it's one of the, one of my favorite, probably top 10 songs of all time.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a great track. I, I surprisingly not on the list I put together, but I caught that live uh, on the 06 tour, and you're absolutely right. the uh, The way they cover it is uh, is you know almost like perfect. You know, because a lot of uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have trouble with that that intro and that riff, and uh, you know, Rich has that thing nailed. He must have uh, yeah. spent a lot of time working on that one, but uh, right, because that's uh, ultimately. When I think of Keith Richards' guitar playing, that's where my mind goes instantly. That's the first thing I do. Mm-hmm. That's like my, if, if I had to explain with an audio example how Keith Richards played the guitar, that's, that's the track I would, I would go to.
1: Well, it may, this all may be rumor, but you know the, the Stones haven't played that just a ton throughout their career. And I heard that one of the reasons was that Keith had problems playing it live. Yes,
2: <laughs> I've heard that as well.
1: That's Mick Taylor playing on that one, too, right?
2: Yeah, it's with a very uh, Santana-ish kind of uh, guitar lead on it, you know. But, uh, I don't know, it's great. That was that was the first, when I was playing guitar, that was the first song I ever learned by ear. Uh, not the not the, riff, oh, really? the solo part. Yeah, wow. I, I, I somehow was able to sit down and I visualized it in my head and I grabbed the guitar and I, I, I played along with it. I, that was a cool thing, but uh, I love that solo. I never get
3: enough of it. My next one's tumbling dice You got to roll me
4: You got to roll me You've got to roll me
3: Once again, the lyrics are just fantastic. They're just—I just love the song. You know, front to back, back to front, uh, and the crows, uh, Mona Lisa, and Charity give it such a great—you um, uh, know—just brings a soul into. Not that the, the Stones didn't have that, but uh, once again, we go back to Mona Lisa and Charity, and you know what they bring—they just fill out, you know, the sounds. And I think that they do a great job uh, on that as well.
2: It's funny you say about the uh, the lyrics because they are fantastic lyrics. But up until like, I think it was when the the Crows covered it, I never knew what Mick Jagger was singing in the verses. I can never it, it was almost <laughs> und- undecipherable to me. And uh, when well, I finally read like a lyric sheet, there are some of his cooler lyrics. I just never I could never pick out what what he was what he was saying. You know? Well, and
1: that's Keith's favorite song to play. Is that uh, right? Yeah, he said that in his book, and he said that that opening. That opening riff, he said, is just. I think he said it's something. That's, it's just like butter. It's just so smooth. It's so much fun mm-hmm. to play. Um, a real funny story. Kind of funny story. I saw the Magpie on a Tuesday night, and uh, I'm sure it's like this everywhere. Uh, a lot of the classic rock stations will have two for Tuesday. You know, they'll do back to back songs by the same artist, and so you know <clears throat> how on these Magpie tours, riches much more engaged with the audience and you see more of his sense of humor and everything and so i forget what they played it was a stone song and so they could get through playing they get ready to go the next song it was the middle of the set too it may have been moonlight mile and uh it's middle of the set and, and rich goes you guys ever heard of two for tuesday or something like that and everybody you know kind of laughs and go yeah he goes here you go and they broke right into Tumble and dice so we got you know two stone songs in the middle but uh magpie handles that one uh really really well and that's the only song well happy gets played a decent amount but i think yeah. that's the you know that song is pretty much played at every stone show for probably the last 30 35 years but uh and and of course happy gets gets it all down the line gets on their song so uh yeah can't complain with your pick so far you've got one more left
3: yeah and these are are in no particular order loving cup Yeah. favorite and um you know by by the crows and the stones i, I you know what else you know, can be said but it's I, you know i have always liked it when the crows and the stones showed they wear everything on their sleeve i really you know what i mean and whenever they they become they sing passionately or you know with with compassion i um and talk about love and stuff like that i, I really um draws me in
2: yeah i mean that's a that's a uh a fantastic pick for sure i mean uh from a from a fantastic record and uh -hmm. it's definitely one of my favorites
1: i love the uh you know it's a bonus track or whatever or an itunes version of you know freaking roll it's on there Mm -hmm. and i guess they just didn't want to pay the licensing rights for that and the night they drove old dixie down uh you know that was that was an extra on that as well um yeah standout song from a standout uh album And, and i've heard other people cover it fish has covered it um, yes. The Stones actually played it with Jack White on that uh, Beacon show that they did. It was like Bill Clinton's 60th birthday or whatever that they made the uh, Shine a Light documentary on. Really? And, yeah. And I thought uh, I thought Jack White did a really good job on that as well.
2: Yeah. You brought up the uh, the Fish. They were the Fish is the only other band I've heard cover that song that did it any sort of justice for me um, that I've heard. I'm not saying there's not versions out there that are equally as good, but. And um, I'm not a tr- tremendous, tremendous fish guy. I, I like I like a fair amount of their stuff, but I I always like their cover. And I heard that before I heard uh, the crows do it.
1: Well, to me, the frustrating thing about that uh, Exile on Main Street album is so many of those songs would not translate well to a stadium show. No. But if you if you saw them in like a three or four thousand seat uh, theater, you know they would just be amazing. But I mean. You know, it's like um, Sway is one of my favorite Stone songs. It does not translate well to um, a stadium. I I know they played it for the first time in forever on one of their – I've got so many of their concert DVDs. I can't remember which one it was. I think they're in like Austin, Texas or something, and they play Sway. It sounds great, but the crowd's not into it. You can tell, you know – Mick is just like, he's wanting to go, you know, 90 to nothing the whole time, and they've had to <laughs> slow it down. But I was like, if they played this, like, you know, like in the Beacon Theater or something in New York, this would be unreal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a challenge that the Stones face because, uh, you know, number one, they've been doing this for, you know, 50-odd years now. They have so many records. And they have such a varied fan base because it goes through so many different generations. Right. There, there are so <laughs> many, and I think that's how they're ultimately able to still sell out stadiums. Is there's there's so many different types of fans that they have going to those shows for so many different reasons, and they have to vary that set list in such a way that they're pleasing each. You know, they're pleasing the people that have seen them a million times. They're pleasing the people that like. More obscure stuff. They were pleasing the people that like the hits, and
1: it's it's yeah. going to be
2: a real tough balancing act for them.
1: Well, and they but, market it more. It's marketed as not a concert. It's marketed as an event. Right. You know, you <clears throat> ever since that Still Wills tour, when they're playing, you know, they have these massive stages and sets, and you know, they always have these really intricate kind of intro videos that play before you come on. It's kind of like uh, uh, what U two has become. A lot of people go just solely for the spectacle and not the music. Right. And, and I know on that, um, I think it was that 40 Licks tour, I think that was the name of it, You know, they would do like a stadium, an arena, and a club in the same town in a lot of places. And there, I think there's a concert DVD of that. That would have been great to see, but I, I just feel like Mick thinks it has to be, the entertainment value has to constantly be at a 10 out of 10. And they don't have a lot of they can't dig into their deep catalog and do that because i think he probably feels and maybe rightly so that it kills the energy.
2: Yeah, i mean they um i i heard a, a an interview clip with uh with Mick Jagger once and he was, was talking about the 1981 tour which i believe was uh Tattoo You and um he was saying that was the first time they started playing like uh stadiums and he said, you know, because we know we're not in the the best place for seeing and the best place for hearing we have to come up with these visuals basically to to make it an overall show for the people i mean that's you know these are the days i'm sure before the video screens and all that they're trying to get the way in the back something you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and i don't think he ever left that
1: mindset really all right ian so we've got bill's picks let's you want to run through mine and yours real quick
2: sure i think we might match up a couple of times here david but uh, as we usually do but uh (laughs) I'm going to start off with one that um, uh, it's kind of uh, I got introduced to the song by the Black Crows you know so uh, and I first heard it on the uh, that legendary December 15th 96 show from Las Vegas where they did primarily covers but uh, it was Happy from uh, Exeter yeah. Main Street Never get a badge
0: of the cocktail i oh
2: And it was the that's the first time I can remember Mark Ford singing, uh, on a Black Crow's, you know, uh, song. Not a Black Crow's song, but you know, in a Black Crow performance rather. And uh, God, I love that song. Something about that song is just so great.
1: And what I loved about their version of it was Mark always sang it very, whether it was '96 or '05. He it always was sloppy sounding his singing on it, which was you know Keith would Keith would yeah. golf clap that you know. <laughs>
2: I don't. Know, what's your take on that one bill
1: can't go wrong
3: with that one i mean uh, uh, coming off of uh exile that's just another one of those songs that that uh, flows one into the other into the other into the other um and they do you know they do a fantastic job uh you know chris's voice once again i go back to chris but uh his voice matches up fantastic and you know musically um they ha- you know they have what it takes to 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 cover the stone um you know they have that you know even the you know all the way down to the intangibles you know the, the image the look all that stuff so
2: it's a great jam and it's funny because a guy with a voice like Chris's you wouldn't think he would come off so well on stone songs like so perfectly because I, he's a very different singer than than, than mm-hmm. Jagger is. and yet it's like they're the best stones covers i've ever heard because they're so right yeah the spirit is so close to the original spirit i think is what it is really
1: yeah i agree the energy exactly i'll I'll throw this out there so that that run on exile that goes tumbling dice sweet virginia torn and frayed sweet black angel loving cup and happy that may be the greatest six run Ah. stretch of 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 almost any album i've ever heard oh yeah if that was one side of an album you'd 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 wear out the side and so yeah right uh, before before our podcast is up we're gonna have four of those six songs on our on, on between the three of us on our list. So I mean, that's that's pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, I, Sweet Virginia is one of my uh, all time favorite. They're in my top five. I just love that song. That's a great. And that's one. a
2: song that I wish the Crows had uh, perhaps yeah. uh, got involved with because I I thought it was ripe for a cover from them, but uh, alas, they never did it. So, but uh, I I just noticed on my on my list going over it. I have uh, two Keith sung tunes on here, um, because the the other uh, cover I th- and I think they've only done it actually once, um, which was um, uh, "You Got the Silver" from uh, "Let It Bleed."
4: Hey baby, what's in your eyes? Something flashing. Like airplane light You feel my cup, ache, And that's for sure Must come back For a little more You got my heart You got my soul you got the silver Got the, gold. Got the diamonds from the man.
2: Rich takes the lead That's vocal on it. It was from '06, I think they did it in the the part in '06 after Mark had left and they kind of had um, Paul Stacy filling in on on lead guitar. Um, I love that song originally. I think it's one of their most overlooked diamonds in their catalog and I think a lot of the Keats stuff gets overlooked, you know.
1: I would have liked to have heard that with Mark playing the slide,
2: yes, that, that was the only uh mm. unfortunate thing lacking really i I thought the very same thing
3: i concur one hundred percent it's uh it's you know it's a classic you know hopefully they get back together again and they, and they take some of these notes and you know <laughs> keep moving on but uh but they play you know crow's jams also <laughs> yeah
2: I mean if we uh if we somehow had influence over a reunited crow set list, I think I would uh, pass out.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Right. I I had influence over a CRB set list though. Really? Is that right? Yeah. So I had this magical moment. It was, uh, they played here in Pittsburgh on Halloween last year. And um, so we went, a friend and I, we we went down there uh, to to the venue really early. And um, so we went down to this basement bar and Neil's sitting there. Right. I'm like, I'm Like, dude, you know whatever you, you know, so we got a photo, whatever, and i said uh I said, hey, I said, you guys have never played rosalie to at all in Pittsburgh, He goes, really, and I'm like, I'm telling you, I've been here, I've been there, been to everyone, you haven't, so um, turns out uh they added it to the uh to the set list, so
1: look at that,, man. <laughs> man, that's such a good song it is, I think, uh real quick, sidebar. I think Servants of Their Son is their second best album behind Big Moon Ritual. What are your what are your thoughts on that statement?
3: Mm. I like um well Big Moon Ritual is number 1 in my book. Um I do like uh What is it? Anyway, way you know or any way you, you feel love, Any way you love, we know how you feel. Yeah. It has like Behold the Sear on it. High uh, the whole album is good. I'm trying to find it now. But that's that's my uh my second favorite.
1: All right, Ian. What is your uh, what's your third uh, Stones cover? Well, it's two, uh, I'm going to just throw out two at the same time
2: because okay. we've kind of uh, we've kind of chatted about these songs a little bit over the course of the episode here. But I have, uh, you know, of course, "Loving Cup" and uh, "Torn and Frayed." I mean, those are mm-hmm. you know, as we've discussed. You can't you just can't beat them. And uh, anytime they would ever play those songs, whether I was present or I was listening to it on a you know a, a recording. You know, it's magic. It's 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 a mm-hmm. gift, really. It's a set list gift, as far as I'm concerned.
1: And torn and frayed was one of the covers that I thought Luther really handled really well
2: when yes. he was
1: with them. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get to see that, uh, and uh, on that say goodbye to the bad guys tour, torn and frayed. That's the song that made me a, a, an Exile fan. It's my favorite cover that the Stones do. Period, and I just absolutely love everything about that song.
2: I knew you'd be pleased it was on my list, David.
1: Yeah. That one is uh I think is just absolutely amazing and if I'm ever you know in charge of uh helping them make a set list and they ask my opinion that one's gonna be on there
2: and then you know the last one that I had was uh i may have uh i may have cheated again slightly david but uh, it's actually it was i i knew of it being done by uh rich I think the magpie might might have done it but I, it's it's one of my favorite Stone Songs um it's song of Sticky Fingers uh, Moonlight Mile Rich put out, Rich's first solo release was the Knitting Factory live album. Uh, came out you know, a few months before paper. And the, during the performance, he performed Moonlight Mile because he had a, a string section with him, and that really lends itself to that. But I think for the same reasons that Loving Cup was left off of Freakin' Roll, Moonlight Mile was left off of Knitting Factory because of, I think it costs a lot to
3: license those songs.
1: Well, they couldn't even license Memo from Turner on there. Yeah, so... Um, That's
3: a great song too.
1: Oh, that's my that's my father's favorite.
2: uh, One of my father's favorites to be, if uh, you know, strolling down memory lane. He always played that uh, when I was a kid. Memo from Turner, but that that I finally saw on YouTube. Boa released his video recording of the Knitting Factory show, um, pretty much in its entirety, and uh, it had that Moonlight Mile intact, and it it was uh, rich captures the haunting atmosphere of that song so perfectly because that it's, it's kind of a weird song to end sticky fingers with because sticky fingers is primarily more upbeat, kind of a rock, you know, RV influenced rock kind of sound. And then there's that song at the end, which is very kind of, it's almost like a dirge in a way, you know, I mean, I, what do you think of that one, uh, Bill?
3: I, uh, I see, I, um, sticky fingers takes on a whole, um, uh, it's got a different, a bunch of different meanings. I, I really think of it as a, um, a drug album, to be honest with you. I mean, yes. I mean, not you know, not you know, not not every song, but um, and uh, uh, and so I, you know, it fits fantastic in there, um, with uh, you know, Sister Morphine. I mean, you know, uh, can't you hear me knocking? Like Sister Morphine is one of my favorites, and you know, I hate to tell people that because they're like, oh my god. But I mean, when you, it's just one of the most beautiful songs, and if you if you listen to it intimately he's taking you for the ride, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's musically, and it's, um, uh, you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think, it, you know, it fits well in that album, and it's a great song.
1: If people out there want to hear a great version of Moonlight Mile, not by either one of these bands, there's a compilation album. It's on Spotify. I'm looking at it now. It's called All Bluesed Up. It's a tribute to the songs of the Rolling Stones by various blues artists, and there's a guy from Memphis by the name of Alvin Youngblood Heart. And he does a yes. version of "Sway" and "Moonlight Mile" that just absolutely—he absolutely kills it. Especially the the "Sway" and, and "Sway" is really good, and the "Moonlight Mile" is is really good. He sings it so so well. But yeah, "Moonlight Mile" is great. I saw the I saw the Magpie do that, and uh, yeah, well, just what a what a great song. Yeah, and I will be. I'll check
2: those out definitely because I know um, that that guy is a great player. And uh,
1: believe it or not, David, every time you make a recommendation, I do go and listen to what you've told me to listen to. So, um, Well, and Alvin Alvin is a big-time buddy with uh, Luther Dickinson. Uh, they do a lot of stuff together. So, uh, all right. So I'm going to go through my list. It's, I only have a couple that all right, I had Torn and Frayed, obviously. I had Loving Cup. Can't You Hear Me Knocking? And here's where I took some poetic license. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I actually have covers on here that the crows didn't do but members of the crows have done and this is a song that the rolling stones have never played live it's a crime that they haven't magpie plays it rich and john trade off on the vocals and that is let it loose off of uh, exile on main street fantastic <laughs> Is, yeah. That is my second favorite song off Exile after uh, Torn and Frayed.
3: Yeah, it's not a bad choice at all. I mean, like I said, you, you really can't go wrong with any of these choices, and especially off of Exile.
1: And the only other one that I had that we haven't mentioned so far, and this is uh, taking a little poetic license, Rich with his solo band covers Winter off Goat's Head Suit, and it's just got Rich written all over it.
4: Shove in the cold, cold winter.
2: now i never knew that till i till you because you always uh you always give me a preview of your list and i'm a little bit more secretive i always keep mine from you david but um yeah. i never knew that they that richard solo band did winter and that's that's really that's really great I, that's a great yeah, I tune that,
1: that Goatshead suit album man i just i love it uh and it's it's one that the more i listen to it the more i get into it because i think a lot of people say well it's coming off exile and there's a lot of turmoil going on in the band and there was but I mean there's there's one or two tracks on there that, that are stinkers but for the most part uh it's a strong strong album. And I think they recorded that in Jamaica maybe. Um I have to go back and look at that but cause, you know they were having to fly all around the world to record because they couldn't go back to England.
2: Yes, they were tax exiles at that time I think. Exactly. <laughs> on Main Street. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. But uh now
2: Bill, I, I see you. You know you when uh, David's mentioned uh, CRB you have quite a quite an enthusiasm for that band. Are you a Magpie fan at all? Or
3: I am. So they haven't come to Pittsburgh. They keep snubbing Pittsburgh, and I'm upset <laughs> over that. But um, they've grown on me much like I didn't jump to CRB right away either. Um, it you know I must I'm, I might be stubborn or I'm just hardcore crows. You know, but uh, I, I like John Hogg. Um, they probably. Um, I think uh, Omen is one of my favorite songs uh, by them. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to hear the new album. Yes. Uh, but uh, um, they're growing on me. You know, I, I just have to put away my biases, you know, and I'm, I love it that Mark's playing and Rich is playing. And I really do like um, uh, John Hogg as a lead singer. I think he's fantastic. He's perfect. Um, but, you know, just like anything else, you know, I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll absorb it when the time is right, I guess
2: the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, I I always said, I think I I was kind of sucked into the magpie early on because, um, I'm up in New York. And, uh, so I was able to go to those initial, like four shows they did in, in, in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, to be there that evening, um, you know, because Ed had just passed away.
0: Yeah, Yeah. The
2: first show started with that tribute to him. And I, I, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but uh, when they did the tribute to Ed, they play his piano intro to to Descending. They drop this curtain and the band goes into Descending. I mean, that was the probably the biggest like kick to the chest music I've ever had. It, it was fantastic. It was yeah, right. it, it was pure adrenaline. I, I I still think about that and like wow, that was fantastic.
1: You ought to put that up on our YouTube channel. That's a great video. It is.
3: I'll have to to go and uh, look for it because Descending is one of my, uh, you know, just one of my songs that just hits me so close to the heart, you know what I mean? You know, and no matter, you know, at one point in time in my life, that brings a tear, and at another point in time, you know, I smile and and rock, you know? I love that song.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, you kind of got into them around, or first sold them live, rather, around that period, so that I'm sure. And I don't think, to my knowledge, I don't know, is Descending a song that they kind of... uh, Reserved a bit. I can't think of a, a ton of times they played it live I'll early have to on. look
3: through. A lot of those shows are blurry for me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, I'll have to look through uh, and see. But uh, I have a feeling I saw, I li- I saw it uh, at um, the Bayam Theater in, uh, in Pittsburgh with my wife, and I couldn't believe I was listening to it. So I'll have to look back.
1: I've never got to see it live.
0: Yeah.
2: It's. Uh... I, the only time I saw it was uh, Magpie. I never saw it with the Crows. But uh, if I may, too, uh, David, I'm going to, mm-hmm. again, bust, bust the rules a little bit. There was one song that came up that almost made my list that um, because I saw the Crows do it, it made me go back and and uh, and appreciate it, the the Stones version, which was um, I Just Want to See His Face, which I saw on that 2010 uh, say, say Goodnight to the Bad Guys. I did as well. And uh that was really i that made me appreciate that song so much more for some reason I kind of would coast by that one when I was listening to exile you know foolishly um, obviously because it's such a great song well and
1: I never really could understand what Mick was saying in that song um you know because they they had the drums everything up really high in the mix, and it kind of seemed like Mick was singing away from the microphone in the background and uh yeah it was it wasn't until they played that on that tour that uh that I, I had you know as much appreciation for that song as I do now, yeah, I mean it's um it's almost like they caught
2: like a jam or something they were doing, and they you know it was recorded live in the room or something you're definitely right, like things aren't mixed normally, you know what I mean so, <clears throat> which
1: i i but you know it's definitely a
2: cool a cool little musical piece,
1: I think the story behind that is they were you know they recorded a lot of that album over in France, but then <laughs> I think some of the takes and everything were so sloppy they they recorded a number of songs in l a and I think Mick had been attending like some um uh african American churches at the time uh, uh in l a and that's kind of where he got the inspiration for that. Well, it certainly would make sense, yeah, completely um Bill, we like to do a uh <clears throat> a rapid fire thing here at the end when we have people on. All right. Uh, and we'll do, it'll be a total of five questions. Ian and I'll just come up with something off the top of our head, and you just give you the give us the first thing that pops in your mind. What's Go your ahead. what's your favorite Crows song?
3: Only halfway to everywhere. Nice.
1: What is your favorite
2: album opener?
3: You know, the sign of a great rock and roll band is that they always have a kick-ass first song. So. It's either Gone or Sting Me I would I would uh,
1: alright you can only give us one
3: <laughs> I'll go Gone because I saw it live
1: <laughs> but I saw fantastic. them both
3: live but I saw it yeah
1: alright what's your favorite guitar player in the Black Crows not named Mark Ford
3: mm, I like Luther I think he brought such a great velvety sound to the band um, his, I mean he was a he. Was, he just did fantastic they did not lose much with him there
2: and what is your favorite Rich Robinson riff?
3: Sting me, I guess. Uh, I just love that that opening that opening riff. I I love the words of that song. I just like I said, it's just you know, it's a smack in the face right off right out of the gate. You know, it's sort of like gone and um and uh some of the other, you know, first tracks go faster, I guess, off of uh fireside isn't that a number one track? All
1: right, what is yeah. your favorite band not named the Black Crows or The Rolling Stones? Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> We're Allison Chain. I hear you. I hear you.
3: Nice picks, man.
1: Yeah, nice picks. Uh, Bill, it's been a pleasure, my man. An absolute pleasure, Bill. Thank you so much for coming on.
3: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. You guys are doing a fantastic job, and it's just great to talk to like-minded individuals.
1: Ian, it's your turn to to play us out. Why don't you tell everybody what it is and tell everybody goodbye?
2: Yes, I thought I would, uh, for the outro song this week, I would pick something that didn't make anybody's list. Um, it was kind of put into that uh, uh, encore run of the 12:15:96 show. It's the Black Crows doing the Stone Silver Train, and appreciate everybody listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.